0: Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic
1: all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Cause I'm
0: Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams.
2: Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. We're awful glad you're here. On this special episode of the show, we'll talk with American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall to get his outlook on the ag industry for 2020. We'll also talk about the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show, which kicks off this week in Austin, Texas. And we'll take you to the Fort wayne farm show which happened this week in fort wayne indiana finally we'll take you to hank snow's iconic rainbow ranch in madison tennessee for the music of rising country star dylan carmichael you won't want to miss a moment of this one let's go back on FastLine track, and it is my distinct honor and privilege to bring in American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall. Uh, He was the guest on the first two episodes we've done of this show here, and uh, we've actually, uh, a couple weeks ago, crossed the one-year threshold, so we're still here, still kicking, and uh, we wanted to have him back to talk a bit about what he saw in the past year, what he sees coming up in 2020, and a bit about the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show, uh, which is going to be going on in in Austin, Texas, January 17th through the 22nd. and uh, President Duvall, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track.
3: Well, thank you, and I'm glad to be back on with you and look forward to talking to you again.
2: So we uh, have come through 2019. I, I, I know everything has been well chronicled, some of the, uh, the, the big issues and some of the challenges uh, that have been out there in the industry, but uh, now we uh, flip that calendar page. We're, we're into January here, and uh, w- what are some of your initial thoughts about uh, the way uh, things are setting up in agriculture as we head into 2020 here?
3: Well, you know, you, you have to look at agriculture two, two different ways. It's policy and market and then, to, and then uh, 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 weather. Because uh, we all know that we can do everything right and if the weather's not right, uh, we're going to have a terrible crop. And uh, so, so the weather side is, is nothing we can do about it. We can't control it. We just work with it, do the best we can do. Uh, 19 was a horrible weather year, and, and, and probably on the farm, we say it was one of the worst years we've seen in a long, long time. But on the policy side, in 2019, we had tremendous success and working with the administration and Congress. And of course, we didn't get everything done we wanted to do, but some of those things we were working on will carry on into 20 is uh, the work on ag labor. Uh, we know we got a bit, there's a bill that came out of the House. Uh, we were the only agricultural group that did not support that bill. And the reason we did that is we wanted to make uh, real sure that uh, clearly, loud and clearly, when it went to the Senate, they would know that we got serious problems with it. Uh, we take our hat off to, uh, to the Congresswoman Loughran for moving forward and trying to get a bill out there. Uh, we worked hard with her to try to make some of our changes on the House side. We were not successful in doing that, uh, but when it was passed, everybody knew that we were very uncomfortable with certain uh, issues, certain things in that bill. And now the Senate, when they take it up, uh, they already are on. on uh, they they already know that we have serious problems with it. They know what those problems are, and hopefully we'll be in a driver's seat to make some positive changes, and on the Senate side to make it come
2: out. Uh, a good bill that could go through the conference. Mm-hmm. What were some of those key issues that, that you were having trouble with?
3: So one thing, you know, have a workable uh, farm labor bill. We have to, It has to be affordable. Mm-hmm. And uh, this bill that came out of the House is not affordable. I know that it does freeze the current uh, AWAR, but we want one that's driven by the market. We want, we want to pay wages that are driven by the market in that particular area. And we know that the AWAR, wage is based off of a survey that we think is very unfair and does not give you a market-based wage. So wage is one of them. Two, year-round work. We want to make sure that all year-round needs are filled. And the, 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 I know they got year-round work in there, but what they did, they put a cap on it, a cap that would, uh, I think it was 20000 a year, uh, and it would be split between dairy and other commodities. Uh we think there's just in dairy there may be a hundred thousand jobs out there that needs to be filled and that twenty thousand cap will leave farmers high and dry without labor uh, uh you know, in, at every farm. So we were against that cap. Uh the public right of action that's in that bill uh makes uh uh puts a lot more uh, liability risk on our farmers. Uh uh, we think that is not the, the correct way of going it, that we think that the current H-2A bill has enough protection in there for workers. And, then, and if it stayed the same, we could continue to work with that, but not to increase that liability uh, piece. The other thing is we want to make sure that the, re- your, the current workforce that's here undocumented is taken care of. The House bill does do that. Uh, we might have drawn it up a little bit differently, but we did support that part of the bill, and we appreciate their efforts in that area. Uh, and then, and I guess the last point would be uh, we, we oppose any E-Verify until we have a workable guest worker program in place, Proven that it's going to work and fill all the needs
2: of American
3: agriculture.
2: So as we uh, sit here uh, talking about 2020, uh, some of the issues that uh, we discussed a year ago uh, are still kind of hanging in the balance, uh, maybe a little bit uh, closer toward the goal line than they were uh, a year ago. But uh, we still have uh, USMCA to be sewn up and still have China to be sewn up.
3: Yeah, but look what success we've—how far we've come in a year, Mm -hmm. and uh, and we got USMCA through the House. Uh, We feel feel sure that it's going to be go through the Senate with a, a good bipartisan, strong bipartisan vote. Uh, it's just a matter of getting it on the calendar and getting it done. So, you know, we, we want our farmers to continue to push their senators to get this done. We don't need to let up till the job's done, but we feel very positive about that. And then who would have ever known, you know, as, as long as it's been with the China uh, uh, trade war, Who would have ever thought, I mean really thought, that we were going to have a solution within grass that deals with with agriculture. Very exciting to us and opens up a tremendous market that could be double of what we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm.
2: And as we're already seeing, some of the earlier indications are that uh, the Chinese are already starting to, to make some buys ahead of that. So uh, a lot of optimism there. Also a lot of optimism about Japan.
3: Of course. I mean, that for them to go back in, you know, we, we were at the White House doors telling them how They had to do something in Japan because we had built some very strong markets there. And those markets will begin very slowly moving away from us because of the TPP or CTPP agreement of the 11 countries that was left in that that, uh, trade treaty. So we were losing our markets there. And they heard our plea to do something there to, to sure us up so that we wouldn't lose any more and give us an opportunity to grow them back. And, and that agreement in Japan is is huge for American agriculture. You know, we talk about Korea, uh, USMCA, China, and Japan. And we got talks that's going to be coming this year with the EU and the UK. Uh, all that's positive. But until it moves the markets and starts moving some grain out of the way and the markets start – Uh, going up and stabilizing at a a higher level where our farmers can make a profit, that's when we're really going to become a believer. We're so appreciative of the work that's been done, but we're ready to see the results. And when we see the results, then the farmers are going to be – they're going to be – hollering and screaming about how what a wonderful
2: successful story this has been most definitely and another of the issues that we talked about at the uh, uh a year ago the uh, waters of the u.s rule repealed by the trump administration and uh and now just in the uh, past few weeks we've seen some challenges by that uh, how closely are you guys monitoring that and uh, uh where do things stand there well a the huge
3: success in september we met with uh uh, all farm groups met with uh, uh, Minister Wheeler and signed the final repeal of the 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule, and we're expecting a new rule to be signed very, very shortly. hopefully within the month, and we've had a seat at the table with EPA trying to make sure that this is, provides clear rules so that we can provide clear water, clean water for. Our country and our communities.
2: As you travel the country, uh, which you do quite a bit, and speak with the farmers and ranchers, what are some of the recurring concerns that they're expressing to you?
3: Well, a lot. Of, you know, we have been real involved in uh, uh, in trying to prepare, trying to help our farmers deal with the stress of. Of what agriculture has been going through, through natural disasters, through uh, financial situations, low prices, the trade war. There's a lot of stress out there. So we've been trying to make sure that we help them uh, get rid of the stigma of what goes along with uh, being depressed, being challenged uh, with some uh, issues that way. So we're we're at our our convention, we're going to have a a breakout session of rural. uh, training for our farmers or leaders in that communities to be trained to be able to recognize problems that exist in their community. In other words, their neighbor or their friend are or, or, um, displaying certain activities or behavioral things going on. We'll have people trained that can go train other people to recognize what's going on in people's lives so that we can Uh, try to help them and point them to the right direction. The other thing that we're going to be talking about um, uh, is broadband. I mean, we know that there's a a, a law in Congress that will help uh, try to clarify and uh, correct some of the mapping situations that we uh, have uh, in uh, broadband coverage. Uh, We're excited about uh, moving forward with that and using the grant money that is your USDA to, to have better coverage with Uh, with broadband across America, and those are are two of the big items that that are left over from last year that we're going to continue to work on.
2: Mm -hmm. What are some of the other items that we might expect to see on the legislative agenda for 2020?
3: You know, I really don't know how to answer that. You never know uh, what's going to pop up uh, uh, and and that we might get to, to to discuss. But um, we're real focused on ag labor and, and broadband is two of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Regulatory reform, we're going to continue to work with this administration. A lot of people don't understand that uh, this administration has um, worked really hard uh, to fulfill their commitment to pull undue regulations off of small businesses and farms so that we can get back to doing what we did best. We don't want to get rid of regulation. We know there needs to be some there. But we want to be able to uh, have regulations and let us still make a living. And this administration has done tremendous amount of work in relieving of us of some of those regulations. We we look forward to continue to do that. Um, uh, endangered species is one that that is going to come up. Is already there's uh, three rules out there that uh, that are helping identify critical habitat area and other things that, that are going to help our, especially our Western ranchers.
2: Well, the 101st American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show is going to be held, as we said earlier, January 17th through the 22nd in Austin, Texas. Last year, you guys celebrated the centennial throughout 2019, and now we're on to the next 100 years. Um, what, uh, what, what stands out uh, for you each year at the convention? What, 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 uh, what, what are the highlights for you?
3: Well, you know, you, you never can—you never can really guess what's going to be the most uh, discussed topic uh, at your policy development uh, uh, delegate session. So sometimes you get surprised at what they pick up on that they want to discuss and, and make changes on. Uh, but but you know, when you go through the breakout sessions, and this is not just at our convention, but everywhere you go, if there's a breakout session about hemp. I mean, the room will be full because our farmers are so hungry for a new crop to grow and they have a tremendous interest in, interest in a new crop. Not that it's just hemp, but it's a new crop. It's a new opportunity and they want to learn to see if that fits their, their area. Uh, we're going to have uh, Secretary Purdue at the convention. Uh, secretary Purdue has been to our convention every year since he's been the secretary. Uh, he is also, when he came, The president came, too, and uh, kind of did not give him the opportunity to speak to our farmers this year. We're going to make sure he's part of our keynote speakers that will be speaking to our farmers, and we're real excited about that. And also the other big guest that we're going to have is uh, is, uh, uh, Administrator Wheeler from EPA will be at the convention. And, you know, I I don't know how long it's been or if if we ever have had, the EPA Administrator at the Farm Bureau Convention. But now we have someone that's in that spot that understands us. uh, Of course, doesn't give us everything we want, but
2: is willing to let us have a seat at the table to talk about what fits in, in, in our world. So if you've never been, educational workshops, TED-style talks on the cultivation center stage, and uh, also uh, just the opportunity to gain some great insight into the trends and the realities that impact food production across the nation. That's exactly right.
3: Consumer trust is, is a big deal for farmers, and a lot of us really aren't taking a lot of time to talk about that. Uh, but we got to be able to tell our story and tell, tell the truth about what's going on in agriculture so that our consumers can build trust in their, the American products that we grow out there. You know, uh, you, you talk to so many people that are leaning one way or the other, type of food, food production, that they, they need to understand all. Types of agricultural food production so that they can have the trust. And whether it be traditional, organic, or or, uh, or or locally grown, they need to understand that. So, you know, those are things that are important that farmers really uh, uh, don't take a lot of time at doing, but our county farm bureaus and our state farm bureaus and, and the National Farm Bureau with our P&E committees, we're trying to do a better job of telling the story. And building that consumer confidence.
2: And farmers and ranchers are going to enter this year's convention with a whole lot on their minds. You know, how important is it uh, that this convention brings, uh, you know, just an air of positivity to the industry and helps folks get off on the right foot for the year?
3: Yeah, I I, I can't see our guys not being uh, feeling positive when they come to this. You know, what these trade deals what the potential is that they can do for American agriculture to try to bring the markets of what we sell uh, up to a level to where we can have some profit in it and hopefully stabilize them for a while. I think our people are going to be excited. I think they'll be excited to hear from Secretary Perdue. He's a great friend of Farm Bureau and American Farmers and Ranchers. Uh, And then having the opportunity to hear the EPA director talk uh, and, and, you know, give him some one-on-one time with him to talk about the small refinery waivers and how the uh, December 19th rule uh, might um, give a boost to to the gallons that were lost in that in those refinery waivers.
2: President Duvall, we, we surely do appreciate you uh, uh, supporting this program and uh, all of the support we get from Farm Bureau and uh, uh, the opportunity to touch base with your folks throughout the year. And uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, uh, the opportunity to speak with you here on Fast Line Fast Track.
4: Uh, thank you for the
3: opportunity to be with you. And to your listeners, uh, uh, 2020 is a new year. Uh, let's just get out there and get it done and please uh please stay in contact with Arm bureau and read our website uh, read our market intel uh, pieces that we put up uh, periodically i think it'll keep you informed and give you the opportunity to uh, answer the call to action because the reason Arm bureau is going to be successful for another hundred years is because our farmers and ranchers are ready to have their voice heard, and they're letting us do the work for them, uh, work using their policy. But when it comes time for them to voice their opinion and and make where the pavement hits the road is when a, a farmer stops his tractor and makes that phone call or sends that email, it reinforces what we do each and every day for them, and they're the ones that actually make things happen. So we appreciate them paying attention
2: and being involved and being engaged and make sure you go check it out again fb.org is that website fb.org and we've been speaking with american farm bureau federation president zippy devoe and again thank you sir for spending the time with us thank you and god bless you well next up this week the 31st annual fort wayne farm show was held january 14th through the 16th at the allen county war memorial coliseum in fort wayne indiana the nation's third largest farm show featured more than 1,100 booths and drew many attendees from Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. We had a chance to catch up with the show's director, Fred Klein, as well as a few of the exhibitors there, and we wanted to share a few of those conversations with you now. Back on Fast Line Fast Track from the Fort Wayne Farm Show, and I'm with Fred Klein, who is the show director of the Fort Wayne Farm Show. Fred, welcome into to Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks. Great to have you here. So uh, how many years is this show now?
5: This is the 31st year of the Fort Wayne Farm Show here at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum in Fort Wayne, Indiana.
2: And how have you seen this show grow over the years?
5: Uh, Well, as far as physically, we filled the... uh expo center there when we first started. We've grown to take everything that they've got available for display area. We've got over 1,100 booths at this show.
2: And on top of the booths also some great uh, educational components to it.
5: Uh, We're really uh, lucky here to tie in with Purdue University and the uh, Soil and Water Conservation District from Allen County and they produce some of the most outstanding seminars you'll see. We're a continuing education program for the farmers in this region. Uh, we've always got things from market and weather, but then we go on to uh, items such as drones and uh, a variety of hot topics.
2: Uh-huh. And uh, people come into the show and they're wowed by everything that's here, but it doesn't just happen by magic. This is a lot of work that goes into putting
5: the show on every year. Our contracts get sent out in April. The advertising gets put together by November. The show is usually sold out by the middle of summer and we just continue to work year-round on producing the Fort Wayne Farm Show. Mm
2: -hmm. And what kind of work goes into following trends and making sure that you've got the most relevant and up-to-date educational component, uh, the best offerings uh, that you can have here for folks coming into the show?
5: Uh, Like I say, we're very lucky to uh, tie in with the groups that are producing our seminars. In addition to that, we're fortunate enough here to have not only the uh, manufacturer representatives and the dealers here, and uh, this year we're introducing a couple of new, uh, a tractor and a combine that are brand new to the market that are out there on our shore floor. This is a very respected uh, farm show, and so we're very lucky to be able to offer that to the attendees. So if folks want to know more about it, where can they find out more information? Uh, they can actually go to our website. It's www. TradeExpos.com. There's only one E in trade expos. Uh, you'll have all of the show information at that site. Well, make sure you
2: go check them out. Just an incredible show. You guys do a great job with it, Fred, and we sure appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track.
5: Hey, thanks for being here. We appreciate everything that uh, our relationship together has done over the years for the show.
2: Well, the big part of every farm show is showcasing some of the great work being done by colleges and universities across the country, and it was no different at the Fort Wayne Farm Show. We had the opportunity to catch up with the folks from Huntington University and learn more about their unique program. Back on Fast Line Fast Track from the Fort Wayne Farm Show, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I'm here with Nate Perry, who is the uh, coordinator of the Ag Operations and External Affairs here for the Agriculture Program at Huntington University. And Nate, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks Brent. Good to be with you. So this is a relatively new program, five years old, but you guys are doing big things here uh, for agriculture in this part of the country.
0: We really are. Yeah, five years old, and we have uh, nearly uh, 45 students in our program uh, majors and minors. And students are majoring in agribusiness, uh, different concentrations they can choose from, from crop production to animal production, ministry and missions, uh, econ and finance, a variety of other things. And then also we have ag education. And then launching for this next fall, uh, we're going to have uh, crop science, agronomy, and animal <laughs> science. So we have the academic component there, uh, then we have lots of hands on experiences that we're giving our students as well. And one of the neat things
2: you were telling me about is that you guys embarked on your first test plot this past year, 2019. How did that go over? Uh, It's historic, right? I mean, we've used that word a lot here in
0: 2019 with uh, this crop year, and uh, it was historic for us. Not only was our first one, uh, but also some elements that we learned along the way. But we did a population study, and then we also did a nitrogen study, uh, you know, a seed treatment. And uh, the results are pretty interesting. Uh, So we'd encourage people to come by, talk to us, check out our website, uh, Huntington.edu backslash ag and uh, learn about some of those things. But our students have been involved in that from the crop production side. Uh, at the time of planting on you know, June 12th, there weren't a lot of students around. So we did that ourselves with uh, the help of a couple neighbors. But then uh, on harvest time, we had our crop production students there weighing every wagon, every uh, uh, hopper load from the combine coming in and taking samples of test weight, moisture and all that. And it was really, really amazing
2: for the students to be a part of. <laughs> and there are a bunch of great ag schools in this area but not every student uh, has the desire to, to go to a large university And you guys are offering education that is second to none, but more of a hands-on approach with smaller class sizes.
0: Exactly. We're a Christ-centered institution, so a Christian college offering ag is unique. Uh, There's not a lot of us in the country doing that, Uh, but you're exactly right. We have a lot of great land-grant universities here nearby, uh, uh, not too far from us. Um, And we have many of them that have partnered with us. Uh, Purdue specifically has come alongside us and helped us with a number of things. We host some events for them. Uh, We're involved in a lot of their conversations uh, on their end as well. But it really is trying to give our students some hands-on experiences for someone that's looking for a Christ-centered institution. Maybe a 1,200 students instead of a, you know, a larger campus. And maybe it's close to home. Maybe it's somewhere where those students will, will, will maybe even commute from home, uh, allow them to be a part of their family operation, uh, but also be taking classes as well.
2: Another neat thing, you guys have a, a new greenhouse that was brought online here. We do. So that's the component.
0: Uh, The greenhouse was one of our first elements that we really added and brought online where students are going in there. And obviously during these winter months, uh, we're still growing corn and soybeans and wheat and a variety of other plants to really watch those growth stages. You know, what happens in that greenhouse setting? And it's not perfect. Uh, The greenhouse you think is perfect, but there are still some flaws that that students have to deal with and learn about. Uh, We're getting ready to build our Animal Science Education Center Uh, this fall. We'll be launching that, the Don Strauss Animal Science Education Center. Uh, Really that opportunity for students to to have uh, some hours where they're observing animals in that, you know, that space, and then also uh, educational purposes for those students to be able to, to learn uh, about that particular animal, whether it's a gestation period or, or uh, something else taking place, uh, nutrition and feeding, uh, but we're really excited about that opportunity for our students as well.
2: So a five-year-old program, you've had a chance now to uh, uh, graduate your first crop of students. So what kind of opportunities have they seen coming out of this program? And, and one of the things that we require
0: is an internship. So what's great about these students that are now in the in the real world, they've graduated and, and they're out working in the field, is that they, a lot of those students learned about those opportunities through internships. So we've had uh, internships with equipment dealers, we've had internships with feed mills, uh, ag lending, a variety of different aspects. Uh, even on the seed side and animal side, we have our students that have done some work and some research. Uh, so yeah, all of our graduates are placed, which is really exciting. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of companies continue to call and email me saying, hey, do you have any more? Do you have another one? Do you have another student that can help either as an intern or someone that can help once they graduate in a full-time job?
2: So if folks want to know more about the program, where can they go to find out that information? Sure. They can visit
0: our website. Uh, My contact information is on there, Brent, uh, but it's huntington.edu backslash ag, and they can get to us that way. Again,
2: that's huntington.edu. We've been talking with Nate Perry with Huntington University, the ag program there. And Nate, we thank you for taking the time to join us on Fastline Fast Track.
0: Hey, thank you, Brent. It's good to be a part of this. Thank you.
2: And next up, with Plant 2020 just around the corner, many farmers are out securing financing for equipment, facilities, land purchases, and other projects. We had the chance to sit down with Todd Beeler, the Peru, Indiana-based Chief Lending Officer with the Ag Group at Beacon Credit Union, to talk about some of the things that people should consider when they're out seeking financing.
4: Todd, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Well, thank you. Glad to be here today.
2: So there are plenty of ag lenders out there and plenty of people looking for financing for equipment buildings what have you ground whatever what are some of the common questions that you get asked when people are out looking for financing or
4: that uh, you know that they may have some sort of uh, apprehension or so forth what, what, what do you hear a lot from folks? Well the first thing is you know can I afford this? Uh, and that's something that I think is, is is critical, especially right now with the ag economy being as tight as it is. Uh, and that's something where we need to sit down and, and really take a cursory review of their entire picture, uh, take a look at what their holdings are, see if uh, everything is in the proper pecking order uh, with short-term, intermediate-term, long-term financing, uh, and then you know evaluate what it is they're wanting to do to see. You know does that really truly make sense right now and can we find a way to make that viably cash flow in their operation. And when you
2: sit down to do that what kind of information should folks be prepared to come to the table with?
4: Well first of all a completed balance sheet is really important with all the supporting schedules uh, as, thorough, as thoroughly as, as a you know someone can put together Now we'll sit down and ask leading questions and and try to help decipher that see if we've got any holes to figure out but just really a, a nice Uh, accurate snapshot at at this point in time, you know, where you sit with your assets and your liabilities, that's a starting point. Uh, Then, of course, we certainly want to take a look at what are your uh, current debt obligations, uh, those payments, look at what your cash flows are and see how those marry together to make sure that uh, uh, you, know, you are hopefully in a positive and, and a, a strong cash flow to either take on other debt or if not, what are things that we can do to maybe rearrange or repackage that so that you're in a better position of strength. So I don't have a balance sheet, but I'll come to you with a shoebox full of stuff. Well, and that's fine, and and surprising. not surprisingly, probably, uh, you know, that happens a lot of times. But we've got uh, 25 lenders uh, that are all well-trained and seasoned uh, that can sit and ask all the right questions. And then at the same time, I think it's extremely important to educate uh, as we walk through the process, you know. Why are we asking the questions we're asking? You know, how does that fit together? Why is that important to you? And then as we help you piece it together, hopefully do a good job of educating along the way uh, as why this is useful information, uh, not only for us, but how does it relate to your operation? What, you know, where it's really important. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that that, that uh, may be
2: tripped up or, or nervous about what, what kind of disclosures there are, what kind of security privacy issues there are. Uh, how do you guys try? tackle all that with all the uh, uh, standards that you have to meet?
4: Well, that's, I mean, it's a personal and it's a private matter. And, uh, you know, any information uh, that a customer would give to us, uh, that is between, you know, them and us. now, we're going to have team members that are going to help compile some of that information, put it together. But by no means, anyway, is that going to be uh, released or publicized to any of the outside world. Mm-hmm. So none of your private information gets sold or shared with anyone else. What's the climate looking like for lending these days? Well, I mean, to be real honest with you, it's it's tough right now. Uh, there are people that have really struggled the last three, four Five years, uh, and there's a lot of tough dis- discussions that have to go on right now with family members, and there's a lot of tough decisions to be made right now. Uh, there's a lot of vertical integration going on in the in the uh, marketplace right now. People are needing to decide. You know, can I right size, downsize? Is this maybe the time to exit? Depending on what my uh, succession plan is. Uh, where my stage in life is, so uh, it's a lot of tough discussions, but your lender is definitely someone you need to sit with and have those tough discussions with, uh, and and be just forthright and honest with the position you're in, so together, uh, you know, can help make what is, you know, the best and the proper decision, and I don't mean to throw a blanket over, you know, everyone, not everybody's in that situation, but unfortunately, you know, just the. Nature of where we're at in this economic cycle with with the ag economy, uh, you know, people to some degree or other are are feeling the pinch and needing to make some very difficult decisions.
2: We bring up a good point. One of the things I was curious about younger lenders, you you know, you've got a a new generation of Gen Xers or or millennials who are starting to come into the picture uh, on many family farms or or take over and uh, require uh, separate financing of their own. Uh, What are you seeing in those terms these days?
4: Well, first of all, I've been very impressed with uh, most of the young You know, farm professionals out there right now. Uh, And I think it's good that they have been living through uh, challenging economic times because I think it really drives uh, the management decisions and financial decisions that they make. Um, You know, we haven't seen times this challenging since the early 1980s. Uh, So uh, I'm very impressed with the up and comers. Um, As far as them trying to enter, Uh, farming, if it's not a situation where uh, they maybe are in a position to take over or inherit from dad or grandpa and they want to get their own operation started, there are a number of programs that we can utilize through the Farm Service Agency uh, to help get a young farmer started uh, with the government guarantee Uh, backstop underneath this that allows them to get in for very low down payment, allows your lender a lot more confidence uh, to be able to extend credit and uh, to have an acceptable risk uh, with those young borrowers. So that's something we've done quite a bit uh, and I think the future uh, of, of agriculture. We're in good, we're in good hands with that generation right now.
2: And this guy certainly knows his stuff. So if you are curious about any of this, if you're looking to get into lending, you you just wanted to, to shop around and get some ideas, uh, educate yourself a bit, www.beaconaggroup.org. Make sure you go check those guys out Beacon Credit Union Ag Group. And uh, Todd, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on FastLine Track. Thanks, Brent. I really appreciate it. Well, next up, Terry Tyson and our friends at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, recently presented us with an opportunity we just could not pass up to record some incredible country artists at Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee. Hank Williams, Elvis, Ernest Tubb, Patsy Cline, and so many other legends were frequent guests there at the ranch. We went back earlier this month and made history, recording some of today's brightest stars in that magical place. The first of those we're presenting to you is Dylan Carmichael, whose current album "Hell on an Angel" was produced by one of the hottest producers in the business, Dave Cobb. I can't wait for you to hear it. Back on fast line, fast track from the legendary Hank Snow Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee, and now it's an honor to bring in a guy that I've been wanting to get on. Program for a long time, Dylan Carmichael. Dylan, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having me, man. Forward to a great Kentucky guy here, uh, really representing true traditional country music the way it was meant to be. And uh, Dylan, man, we just love your music. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks again. Dylan was born in Bergen, Kentucky. Uh, His grandfathers, Harold Carmichael and Harold Montgomery, both singers. Montgomery being a uh, on the uh, Opry, and Carmichael being a uh, gospel singer and uh, both were influential in your career i understand
6: yeah yeah they uh my grandfather uh, harold carmichael was one of the ones that kind of got me going singing he uh, he loved elvis which apparently i'm sitting on the stool elvis sat on and played piano one time and it's his birthday happy birthday elvis <laughs> uh,
2: so i understand you started playing guitar young and uh did stuff all through high school tell me a bit about that
6: yeah, I started playing guitar uh, probably eleven or twelve years old, and and uh, and I loved uh, I loved all kinds of music. I learned to play classic rock and, and all kinds of different stuff, but I really loved country music. And uh, I didn't start singing until I was about fifteen. Mm-hmm seriously started singing and uh, I had a little band back home uh, some guys I went to high school with and we <laughs> we played all kinds of different music The bass player loved reggae Bob Marley <laughs> the drummer loved metal and and the guitar player loved <laughs> southern rock and I loved Randy Travis and Keith Whitley and all that traditional country and Waylon Jennings outlaw country it was just a mix of all kinds of stuff so we were playing Metallica we were playing everything but uh, it was a lot of good memories and uh one of the one of the steps to cutting my teeth uh-huh. at that time, so.
2: yeah, but uh, through that all, I imagine it uh, it really helped you build that confidence that you needed for that next step along the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of different
6: steps involved, and, and there's a lot of aspiring artists and songwriters and stuff out there. And uh, uh, I guess you know, I, I think the biggest thing I learned from it, and I'm still taking these steps, but you know, just everything is uh, is. Is
2: part of the process. Uh-huh. So uh, you, you uh, get all all the way through high school. Toward the end of high school, you're you're offered a publishing deal. But yeah, uh, t- tell us how that, how all that worked
6: out. Yeah, I got offered a publishing deal when I was 17, and I had to, I had to graduate high school and turn 18 before I could legally sign a contract. So it was it was really early. That was kind of my intro into the music business, and uh, and so I got started early, which was a blessing because I. I got in there, and I learned some of the, the lessons and stuff and got all that stuff out of the way. Uh, you would think I would have learned them by now. <laughs> you'd think I would have learned all of them by now. If
2: you're like me, it takes a little while. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, you get down the road, and uh, uh, your first big break uh, comes uh, when you get hooked up with Dave Cobb, who's produced some of the legends like Sturgil Simpson, Chris Stapleton, Jason Isbell. And, uh, man, tell me what that experience was like. Dave Cobb uh, working with Dave Cobb was
6: uh, was an unforgettable experience for sure. We where we recorded the old RCA studio A building is a, a historical monument and it has such a history and and it's still making history right now and uh, Dave is such a great producer and a, and a great guitar player, great uh, great melody person and those great songs and and uh, really, just a an amazing experience I'll never forget. And I got to make my dream first record there, mm-hmm. in, uh the Hell on an Angel album, and uh, and just everybody that played on it. Robbie Turner was on pedal steel, and and uh, just to just just to name one in particular that mm-hmm. I, you know, Robbie Turner uh, replaced uh, Mooney. Mm-hmm. That, that was Waylon's original pedal steel player, and he's uh, definitely the. In my opinion, the best pedal steel player alive. Mm-hmm. Also did some with George Jones as well. Yeah, yep. just just you know, one of the many exciting things that's that's got to happen,
2: and uh, and working with Dave was was something. Man, so uh, what was it like standing there in, in Studio A in A Room delivering those lyrics, man? Yeah, it was. I mean,
6: it was. Uh, uh, there was definitely something. There was something more to it than uh, than just standing there delivering lyrics. There was definitely some some uh, spiritual stuff going on for sure in that album and uh, and and I try to 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 bring that into to everything I do but sometimes you go is this really the the right thing you know and uh, and but really been blessed you know with uh with the the first album and now we're working on the second mm-hmm. and
2: a lot of good stuff and i'm sure anybody digs into your history and, and learns that uh, your your uncles are in the business uh uh john michael montgomery and eddie montgomery at montgomery gentry uh they, they probably think man you had the, uh, the the road paved for you but uh it, it, it wasn't quite that way was it no it wasn't uh you know and, and another
6: thing too is i've always been a little reluctant uh to To throw that out there, I kind of wanted to, I guess you, for lack of better terms, uh, make it on my own. Yeah, but uh, but it took me a little bit to realize that we're a family and and we do this together and it's a family business and so uh, I'm very proud of uh, of my mom and my uncles and my grandfathers and and uh and my cousin walker and my cousin madison and everybody in the family that that's uh pursuing the music thing or pursuing whatever in life you know i, I have a, a great family and they're great people and uh john and eddie they've never let any of this get to their heads they're they're down to earth and, and good people i couldn't be more proud so i, I like to talk about them as
2: much as possible now and when You talk about making it your own way, man. You were out there working security at Honky Tonk Central and at the Opry. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I started at the
6: Opry, actually. Uh, I I kind of... uh I I ran out of resources on ways to make money playing music for a while, and uh, and I had to do something. So I thought, well, I can get paid to watch the Opry every night. That's a pretty good gig. So I started doing that, and uh, and I always had a. And then after that, I went to to Broadway and worked and did all that crazy stuff, and and I made <laughs> some good memories there too. But back back to the Opry I had a an opportunity, uh, multiple opportunities to step into that. That famous circle as a security officer, just because I was one sometimes the only one in the entire building wow. uh, and uh and i I just couldn't do it I, I knew in my heart I, I never did step into it, not even not even one inch uh, I just knew in my heart that. One day I would play the opera, and I wanted to save it till then. So, August twenty first, two thousand eighteen, it happened. It came, and that day
2: was (laughs) that day was a special day. Uh, Eddie Montgomery, your uncle, uh, introduced you, and your 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 mom, uh, Brenda, sang harmony that day. And uh, I've seen some of that video. That's just had to be just an incredible moment. Yeah,
6: yeah, it was. it was uh, it was really special. It was uh, and and Matt Workman sitting back here uh, plays guitar. He got to make his Opry debut that night as well. Man, so
2: so incredible. And now, as of the taping of this, yeah, you, you've been on that stage between the Opry House and the Ryman thirteen times. Thirteen times. Mm-hmm. Yep, lucky number 13 is what they say. <laughs> 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 I think you you get off thirteen pretty quickly. I'm pretty sure, man. I, I, they would be crazy at some point not to make you a full fledged member of that well, thing. So I, think I sure hope so. That's yeah. a that, that's a for any any country
6: singer. That's a really special moment to get to become a member of the Opry.
2: This is just a personal side, but I think uh, to uh, be a member of the Opry, you ought to be country. So yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> man, man, you check all the boxes there. Well, so thanks, buddy. What do you got going on for 2020?
6: Well, uh, I'm uh, working on finishing
2: my second
6: full-length album. The uh, it's uh, it's me kind of uh, experiment with some new stuff, uh, keeping it country, but also uh, trying to add a little bit of uh, tempo to it a little bit for my live. I like to focus live. Live is is uh, my live show is. is uh, my grandfather, Harold Montgomery, always said, uh, be an entertainer first, mm-hmm. a singer second, a songwriter third, mm-hmm. and so the live entertainment part of it is uh, is one of the most important things to me, and so I always uh, try to look at that when I'm making an album and go, well, what does my live show need? What do I need to do to, to continue to entertain these people? And, uh, and I think we, uh, in the first album, we might have lacked a little bit of that uh, honky-tonk stomping, good time and up-tempo stuff still want to keep it true want to keep it honest want to keep it meaningful and uh and that's kind of what we're focusing on but so that album i don't have any dates on that yet you know uh, art can't be rushed so we're still looking for the songs and writing the songs and doing that whole process so uh trying to figure out exactly when it might come out but uh, also got my single I do for you on the on the country radio right now and on all the other platforms it's uh, it's explosive it's doing so good right now and it's uh, I've always wanted to make it a point to be uh, honest and true and, and try and say something that means something and and uh, it's really proven to be true with this single I do for you mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really uh, making it's
2: way out there in the world and I'm just so proud of it. Well another one that stands out to me from earlier on is uh, what would Hank do Man, how often do you ask yourself that question? <laughs> I ask myself that all the
6: time. Probably every day, honestly. Uh, of course, there's some things Hank would do that uh, you might not want to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a good rule of thumb. Uh, he, but, he would probably tell you the same. Pro- probably. But I know for a fact Hank Jr. Uh, has heard that song, and he liked it. And uh, But really, people ask me all the time, they're like, what well, Hank are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about, talking about all the Hanks. Uh, you know, it's a... Uh, uh, it's really a thing about just being honest and being true with your music and uh, being true with yourself, and uh, and also just telling telling a story. Mm-hmm.
2: What are some of the bucket list things that, uh, that that you've got that that you really want to accomplish as an artist?
6: Well, I think a, a big one is uh, you know become a member of the Opry one day. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, I want to my own headline and tour arenas and stadiums, and and uh, and I want to I want to do rep arena in my hometown, yeah. you know, um, in Kentucky, and I also want to do because uh, I went to see a lot of concerts there yeah and I also want to do a Madison Square Garden wow. yeah I, I'd like to do that just just because uh, uh that's just one of the one of the milestones is is to to do the Madison Square Garden thing in New York that's really big and that's that's uh, that's that would be a dream come true.
2: You know, Elvis so. and Johnny Cash both cut live albums there, man. Yeah. Maybe you need to put that on. The, <laughs> yeah, on the list. Maybe a live album. Yeah, yeah. I'd like
6: to uh, to do Madison Square Garden and uh, just hear everybody singing back. I know it holds yeah. like eighty thousand or something like that. Yeah. but well, to a lesser extent, you you've gotten a chance to experience that though, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've, it's, it's like? kind of crazy. uh you know, doing uh, doing these shows and just seeing more and more people. I think two years ago. Was uh, was the first time I saw uh, a couple people singing my own songs back to wow. me, and uh, and it's grown so much to um, you know little little bar rooms and honky tonks full of people all over the country singing back to us, and uh, we just want to continue to see that grow. If as long as that's growing, we know we're doing something right. Uh-huh. We don't have to have this big explosive thing right now where you know go from playing a honky tonk to the next day or. Playing in an arena full of people It's I want it to be a foundation. I want it to grow, and I want it to be
2: something that's going to last a long time. So. Yeah, from the Austin City Saloon in Lexington all the way to Madison Square Garden—that'd be quite a story. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. That's—I had a lot of good
6: times at Austin City, and we would have a we would have some good times at Madison Square Garden. We have a good time
2: everywhere. Should say from—I <laughs> should say from Mercer County yeah. all the way to Madison Square Garden, yeah. man. So yeah. Shout out to Mercer County and all of Kentucky, man. We love to see you representing Kentucky, and man, if folks want to know more about where uh, what, what, what you got going on Where you are gonna be on tour uh, get, get this new music working To go to check it out
6: Well I got a website Dylan Carmichael.com But uh, check me out on Instagram Facebook YouTube All that kind of stuff uh, I've I, 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 Made made a goal for 2020 to to be more uh, involved in uh, social media. I'm I'm kind of old school. I'm not very good at it, but uh, but the truth is is uh, um, a lot of people uh, it used to be word of mouth and and it still is word of mouth in a lot of ways. But still, people got you know they got their phone pulled up a lot and they're on there a lot. And if we're gonna uh, uh, if we're gonna affect the world um, and 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 touch some people we're going to have to do it through through the phone screen unfortunately I wish it was the old school way but you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity that comes along with the uh, the technology and stuff like that so we're going to embrace that in 2020 and make that a goal there you go
2: so one thing I I can't leave you Uh, without talking about here you were telling me off air that you uh, had an opportunity to uh, get involved in kind of a singing competition with the uh, Farm Bureau and FFA
6: yeah that was uh, one of the first uh, first things I did that was in the public eye. That was outside of like my hometown. I did a. Uh, it was actually through FFA. I was in FFA at the time, and uh, and the the talent show was sponsored by Farm Bureau, and I did the uh, the local. Farm Bureau talent show I went to the regional Which was like central Kentucky And I won that And then I went to state And then uh, the state Farm Bureau talent show At the Galt House in Louisville We did that I was like 15 or 16 I actually sang one of my uncle's songs and, uh, And I won that one and I don't know why I didn't end up doing anything. I don't. I don't know if I didn't go to the next one. I don't know exactly what happened, but I just remember it was a great time. It was a lot of fun, uh-huh. and it was nice to. I think that probably was one of the things that drove me to just kind of keep going. So I well, I, I must be all right, you know. If I can do this, surely I can. Maybe write a couple songs and you know get out there a little bit. It's just always been a dream. What did, What did you take away from that whole FFA experience? oh so much I mean I I owe a lot to, to FFA and my advisor you know uh, back home uh, there's uh, you learn a lot of leadership and uh, and and there's the thing about FFA is is it's more than just agriculture there's a uh, there's a lot of kids out there that don't have a good home life or, or, or they don't have a, Maybe they don't have their parents there. Maybe it's just not a great situation. And FFA kind of, a lot of times the advisor will take them under their wing. And uh, I think mine, uh, I had a good home life, but, but my advisor took, kind of took me and taught me to be a leader and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that, that he did that too. but yeah. but FFA in general is just such a good thing and, and you learn about agriculture and all that kind of stuff and that's great too but you learn to be a leader and there's no way I could do what I do right now and wake up at three in the morning with, with the drive that I have and ready to roll like this without knowing that you got to pay your dues you got to work hard and nothing comes
2: comes easy yeah so all you FFAers listening out there you know get after it man 4A yeah, you know that, yeah. all that stuff's really good And it's good for you Yeah man so uh, shout out to all those folks And Dylan man we're, we really appreciate you Taking the time yeah. to join us here on the show And we hope to have you back again and again Throughout yeah. the years as, as we watch his career grow And uh, you're always welcome here man Well thanks for having me I'd love to come back and do it again I appreciate it we're going to get him mic'd up And uh, let you hear some of the music of Dylan Carmichael
1: I'm Dylan
6: Carmichael it's a song called Country Boy and I just wrote it recently I've never recorded it you're hearing it
1: first here. Here we go. There's more trucks than cars More churches round here than bars I'll show you around My dot on the map ain't ever gonna wanna go back to them city lights and that life where you can't see the big dipper at night yeah i might just have a want you just don't know you life. Love you like a country boy king Talking nine to five, five to nine These hands don't mind a little over time We're rolling the hay down on the farm You'll be in every song coming out of this guitar I got that country boy loving gonna get you in the sunlight Some guys might have a mansion and a BMW Well, they might be rich, but money can't get Girl, what I'm gonna give to you Country boy King.
6: This is a song called It's Your Fault, and it's on my newest album, I Do For You. I hope you like it.
1: On the night stand. It used to be the heart still used to be Fall. Blame it on your fingerprints on the shower door. Blame it on your black dress.
6: Hey folks, this is my single, I Do For You. Make sure to go check this out on Spotify and Apple Music and uh, all the other places you can get it.
1: I don't take phone calls when I'm fishing. I'm not gonna sit in the front pew I don't go to the mall on Saturday I never felt the call to spend my time that way But I proudly say I do for you Take a week off, drive up the coast Just to watch some leaves fall Spend money
2: Through the incredible sounds of Dylan Carmichael. Make sure you head on over to Dylan That's D-I-L-L-O-N-Carmichael.com to keep tabs on him. He's poised to be one of the breakout stars of 2020. You won't want to miss a moment of what he's up to. Also, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio to subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast so you won't miss an episode. Also, follow Fastline Fast Track on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And add our Spotify playlist to your library for music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show, including Dylan Carmichael. Well, Plan 2020 continues to draw closer. If you're in the market for farm equipment, be sure to make your first stop fastline.com. Check out our equipment locator featuring the price comparison tool with the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Next week we'll bring you wall-to-wall coverage from the Farm Bureau Federation Convention in Austin, Texas, including President Trump's address to the Farm Bureau members. We'll also bring you the music of Claire Dunn, so y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline
0: Media Group. To learn- more about FastLine's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.